Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning, saunterers. Welcome to another saunter. And today we're going to do a whistle-stop tour through um, chapter 36 and then just dive into a little bit of chapter 37 of Genesis and we're going to pray. So Lord, we welcome you now to help us as we open your word and we look at it and Lord, we ask you to speak to us and bring your, just bring your word to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, we love you, Lord. Amen. Good morning, Kathy. So here we go. We are. We have a whistle-stop tour coming right up with a lot of unusual names. But I've, I thought I kind of debated with myself whether to read all of these names or not. Because, but then again, I kind of figure that these are real people that the Holy Spirit, when he inspired the Bible to be written, inspired these names to be included, so we should at least do them the honour of mentioning them. Um, what we're going to get right now is a list of all the um, descendants of Esau. So he's not a main character in the story anymore. He's more of a kind of side note, but there he is, kind of prospering and having children and getting on with fathering a nation. So these are the generations of Esau, that is Edom, which means red. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites, Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, Aholibama, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite, and the sister of, ba- um, sorry, and Basimath, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebioth. And Ada bore to Esau Eliphaz. Basimath bore Ruel, and Naholibama bore Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau, who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Right, so these are real people. They get a mention, and they um, Esau married two Canaanite girls, plus the sister of Ishmael, uh, sorry, the daughter of Ishmael. And the this is kind of noteworthy in as much as it offended his mum and dad that he'd married these Canaanite girls. And so he thought, well, perhaps if I could cheer them up a bit by marrying a bit closer to home, I'll marry one of Ishmael's daughters, kind of a, a kinsperson. Um, but <laughs> it didn't seem to work. And then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock and all his beasts and all his property that he acquired in the land of Canaan. He went to a land far away from his brother Jacob. 
for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. And if you remember, we haven't really talked about it very much, but um, thanks, Kathy. Good morning, Mary. But um, Jacob obtained the birthright, which was the, meant that he inherited his father's estate. So by, you know, more or less the whole thing, lock, stock and barrel. And the so Ish, um, sorry, Esau had done himself out of that by agreeing to the first um, scheme and he sold it to Jacob, his brother, the birthright for a meal because he was hungry and he'd been out hunting. So Jacob, I guess, eventually when dad dies, moves into the kind of um, family estate plus adds to it all of his flocks and herds. He must have been hugely wealthy by now. And Esau seems quite content to take his herds and his family and move off to a land farther away. Um, because they were so, they both of them were so prosperous that they couldn't dwell together, which is quite cool. So for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. That Esau is Edom. Just in case we're forgetting, Esau is Edom. It means red. And so he's the father of the Edomites. Just in case. We can always remember because Edam cheese is red. I don't think it's connected, but there you go. It just helps <laughs> to remember if you ever in, in a trivia quiz. So these are the generations of <clears throat> excuse me, the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Ada, or Ada, the wife of Esau, Ruel, the son of Basimath, the wife of Esau. The sons of <coughs> Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. <coughs> Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She bore Amalek, and you'll remember the Amalekites were and became another of the nations around that got on Israel's nerves over the years and caused them trouble. So Amalek was their father. So um, she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the names of Basimath, Esau's wife. These are the, sorry, these are the sons of Basimath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Olibama, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, Esau's wife. She bore to Esau Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, the chiefs Teman, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. So all of these guys fathered tribes and these are the chiefs of the tribes in the land of Edom these are the the sons of Ada these are the sons of Ruel Esau's son the chiefs Nahath, Zerah, Shammah and Mizah these are the chiefs of Ruel in the land of Edom these are the sons of Basimath Esau's wife these are the sons of Olibama Esau's wife the chiefs Jeush, Jalam and Korah these are the chiefs born of Olibama the daughter of Anna, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, in case you've forgotten. These are their chiefs. 
These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the, the inhabitants of the land, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishon, Ezer, and Disham. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir in the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Hort and Hemam, and Lotan's sister was Timna. These are the sons of Shobal, Avlan, Manahath, Ebal, Shepo, and Anam. These are the sons of Zibion, Aya, and Anna. He is the Anna who found the hot springs. In case you're wondering, this is the guy who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibion, his father. So he obviously was pleased about that and probably opened a spa or something. These are the children of Anna, Dishon, and Olibama, the daughter of Anna. These are the sons of Dishon, Hemdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Cheran. These are the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zavan, and Achan. These are the sons of Dishan, Uz, and Aaron. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs of Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. Oh, Dishan, whatever. Dishan and Dishon. These are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chief in the land of Seir. These are the kings who reigned in the lands of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. So little note there. The the um, nation or the tribes of Edom had kings before Israel did. And you'll remember, well, those who know the story will discover that, or, or will remember that the Israelites said to Samuel, we want a king like all the other nations have got. And here are some nations with kings. So these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, the name of his city being Dinhaba. Bela died and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Bozrah, reigned in his place. Some people think Jobab is Job in the Bible. We don't know that for sure. Jobab died and Husham of the land of the Temanites reigned in his place. Husham died and Hadad, the son of Bedad, <laughs> hey dad, you be dad. <laughs> I quite like it. It's quite good, isn't it? Hey dad, you be dad. And um, so hey dad, the son of be dad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab. Remember the Midianites and the Moabites, they came from Lot. So they were from the daughters of Lot. I think, um, yes, um, who got him drunk. To, oh, we know that story. Horrible story. Um, they reigned in his place, the name of the city being Avith. Hadad died and Samla of Masrika reigned in his place. Samla died and Shaul of Rehoboth on the Euphrates reigned in his place. Shaul died and Balhanan, the son of Akbor, reigned in his place. Balhanan, the son of Akbor, died and Hadar reigned in his place, the name of his city being Pau, his wife's name was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matred, daughter of Mezahab. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau according to their clans and their dwelling places by the names of the chiefs Timna, Avla, Jetheth, Olibama, Elah, Pinon, Kenaz, Timan, Mibzar, Megdiel, and Imram. 
These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau, the father of Edom, according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. Right, let us <laughs> close the chapter on that one with all those long names. Well done for being patient. Right, just we're going to dive into the first bit of chapter 37 and get introduced to Joseph, who will become our kind of um, main character of the story as it unfolds now. So Genesis chapter 37, then verse one says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wife, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colours. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, many of us will be quite familiar with the story of Joseph. It's an amazing story and it's got this incredibly powerful message which speaks to us in whatever um, age of history we live in. It speaks to us because it's all about God remembering us and not forgetting us. And God's promises holding fast, even in the middle of incredible adversity and difficulty. Right. But here's Joseph and he's the privileged son who has this awful sense of entitlement. And he goes around with airs and graces because he knows growing up that he's the son of his father's favourite wife. And at this point, he's... Um, I don't know if Benjamin has been born yet, but Benjamin would have been tiny. So Joseph is 17 and he's um, he's looking after the flock of sheep which is, and goats with his brothers, which must have been a massive enterprise. And would have, I would imagine that they had people working for them and, you know, were managing teams of shepherds and herdsmen and so on who were looking after these incredible numbers of animals. Um, and he's there with this mixed, blended family. So he's got Bilhah's kids, Zilpah's kids, and Leah's kids. <clears throat> They're all working together, and there's Joseph standing out like a sore thumb as the favourite son. <laughs> and he comes, and you would have thought he would have had the sense, but he doesn't not to do but he brings a bad report of the boys to their father and says oh you know something or other or wrong you can imagine it can't you oh they haven't been working oh they've been lazy oh they've been drinking oh something or other you know and just it obviously gets back to them that their brothers bought this report and they resent him and then Israel adds to this whole thing <clears throat> by clearly loving Joseph more than he loves the others and giving him this coat of many colours. Now, some commentators say, well, it may not necessarily have been of many colours, but it it could mean that it had long sleeves. Well, if it had long sleeves, it meant that it was a kind of sign of 
privilege <clears throat> and class. It meant that you weren't actually doing the kind of work that got your sleeves messy or got them tangled up in stuff. And so you were more of management. And it was like, basically like giving his um, son Joseph the privilege of wearing a suit to work where the others had to wear overalls. Um, put modern day analogy. So anyway, he's the kind, he's representing privilege and he carries this horrible sense of entitlement around with him and his brother's detest him they're jealous and they hate him <clears throat> they can't speak peacefully to him so whenever he comes along there's snidey comments and whispers and a look out here he comes you know and <clears throat> and they're kind of trying to find ways of getting back at joseph for being such a little creep <laughs> verse five now joseph had a dream and when he, listen, he told it to his brothers, what a dummy, you know, why? If you had a dream like this, surely you would keep it to yourself. Anyway, so Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Now, I, I just have the most ridiculous dreams. I was running a marathon in Wellington's the other day. So I took them off and this is in my dream and just decided I was going to run in so I took my socks off as well and I was going to run in bare feet and I didn't even know where I was in the race and I, did, I had no clue of the route. Oh, man. Anyway, that's my level of prophetic dream <laughs> most of the time. I've had about three that have been really prophetic and I'm like, whoa, I could like some more of them, but I've had some utter loony dreams. But this, this, this one from Joseph, he feels it necessary to share it with his brothers. And... <laughs> He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. That's when they've cut the corn and they tie it all up into bundles. They gather it up in their arms and then they take another load of, they pull some stalks out of it and they twist it round to make a kind of rope and they tie it round the sheaves and tuck it in together. And so the sheaves are done in a kind of self-contained bundle of corn. And then they stack those up, right? So they're doing this. And he says, <clears throat> we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves <laughs> gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Well, of course they would. He's just kind of projecting this sense of grandeur and importance over them. And he's going around with his coat with sleeves or with many colours. Whatever it is, it stands out. He's kind of identifiable from a long way off. And now he's kind of got this idea that somehow... He's going to be great and they're all and all his brothers, the lesser mortals, are going to bow down before him. And so he tells this dream. He doesn't explain the meaning, but he doesn't need to. You don't have to have the gift of dream interpretation to, to get the point. <laughs> Verse, so they hated him even more. And then he adds to it. Verse nine. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold. The sun, the moon, 
<laughs> and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Oh, 11 stars. Yeah, so he did have a brother, his brother Benjamin by then. So the sun, the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now, Jacob wasn't always wise, but he was a spiritual man and he did understand a little bit by now in his old age about the ways of God. And it's like Mary when we hear the story of Mary and things happen that she didn't understand leading up to the birth of Jesus and just after the birth of Jesus when the shepherds and the wise men came and all the rest of it. And it says Mary kept these things and pondered them or treasured them in her heart. And Joseph kept the saying in mind. It's the same kind of idea. He kind of reflected on it and pondered on it. And I bet he was thinking, I wonder, you know, I think there is a destiny over this boy, but boy, he is going to have to learn some tough lessons because he's got no idea about how to kind of manage this privilege. And so even his father is has joined in rebuking him now. And, you know, I'm, I would imagine if his dad had had any sense, he'd have taken him aside and said, son, after the first dream, listen, son, great. If you have another dream like that, just come and share it with me in private. And let's not get your brothers more hostile to you than they are already. Oh, my. So anyway, now his brothers went to pasture their flock, their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, here I am. He said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the field. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? And he says, I'm seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So his dad is kind of sending him on another kind of supervisory role type of mission to go and check out how his brothers are doing so for some reason now he's been kind of I don't know whether he his dad is consciously thinking of him in a cut in a sort of way of management rather than being one of the workers but anyway he's still quite young but he's going to he's got to go and find his brothers and see how they're doing so this guy tells him where they are Verse 18, they saw him from afar and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. There were some big holes around called cisterns and they, they thought, well, we could kill him and chuck him in one of these pits. Um, and then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we'll see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. 
that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to their father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colours that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So Reuben, who had been guilty of incest towards his against his father's concubine, um, he's now sort of showing some slightly more humane qualities and decides he'll come up with a plan to rescue Joseph. So put him in this pit and Reuben's thinking, I'll hoik him out when you're when you're not looking at night or something and I'll get him home to dad and all will be well. But um, so there he is. They take his robe off him and chuck him in this pit and there he remains, but there's no water in it, so he doesn't drown. And then verse 25 says, they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. That's a train of camels coming from descendants of Ishmael coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. So this is a well-known trade route, no doubt, that they're camping nearby. And these animals pass by with these hurt these uh, traders and um, they're carrying it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come on, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. And then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So, right, there's these traders. They've come. They're on en route with their spices and, and stuff. And they've got their camels. And jo um, Judah <laughs> thinks, why kill him when we can make some money out of him? Which seems to be... And Judah... Oh, <laughs> Let's not get started. Judah is the one who who becomes the in line to the Messiah. And his name means praise and strength. We've already said that, that he's kind of steps into fill the gap left by Reuben, Simeon and Levi, who've all kind of been pretty hideous. Um, but Judah is not really being that much better selling their brother, you know, suggesting they sell their brother into slavery. I suppose, I suppose it's marginally better than killing him, actually giving him a chance to live. But as a slave, I mean, gosh, that wouldn't have been a load of fun being sold as a slave back in those days. Good morning, Ad Alistair and Sarah and Sarah. Great to see you guys. So <laughs> I, I don't know. It's difficult, isn't it? We're trying to make modern day value judgments, but there is just simply right and wrong. It's always wrong to sell your brother as a slave. It's always wrong to kill your brother. It's, it's, it's always wrong to throw him in a pit, really, as well, um, <laughs> generally speaking. So um, anyway, they they decide they're going to sell their brother for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. And you'll remember Jesus was sold, wasn't he, for um, by Judas for how many was it? 20 pieces of silver. Anyway, then Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes uh, and returned to the brothers and said, 
I think it was 30, wasn't it? 30 pieces of silver for Jesus. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Kind of meaning like, what's my life going to be worth? I'm the oldest. I'm supposed to be the responsible one. You know, how am I going to live? What's going to be my fate now we've lost the boy? Where shall I go? And they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colours and brought it back to their father <clears throat> and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. So now they're doing this sort of fake detective drama thing where they know perfectly well it's their brother's robe, but they're kind of bringing it to their, oh, we found this. We're not sure. Is it? Do you think it's Joseph's robe? Do you think... Does it look like Joseph's robe? Uh, it's horrible, isn't it? They are double-crossing, scheming scoundrels. And where did they get all that from? Well, they got it from their father, didn't they? And their mothers. Well, yeah, their mothers. Gosh, you know, and their uncle. Uh, sorry, was it their uncle? Yeah, their, no, their granddad, Laban. Not very good at all these genealogies. Anyway, so... They, they're they like, please, can you know, can you identify whether it's your son's robe or not? And how they call him your son rather than our brother. It's just so they're so kind of they've hardened their hearts towards Joseph. They don't really care the fact that he's going to go and live in servitude somewhere and possibly die on route or what's going to happen to him. At least he's out of their lives. He's not annoying them anymore with his irritating dreams and his airs and graces and <clears throat> he identified it Jacob identified it and said it is my son's robe a fierce animal has devoured him Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days that is not a nice thing he's like wearing pants made of hessian sack because he's so upset i can think of other ways of showing my distress <laughs> this was customary i guess but he tears his robe into pieces and he's like saying my heart is torn in shreds and they were very much into the kind of enactment of their grief in a way that was visible they manifested it and I don't know, sometimes we're a, I think we could probably do a bit more robe tearing and kind of sackcloth wearing. It would help us to perhaps process the grief that we tend to sort of try and bottle up and tough it out and all the rest of it. But anyway, Jacob is heartbroken. That's the point of the story. And he's torn his robes, got his Hessian pants on. And he's he mourned his son for many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. That's like their understanding was that they would he would go to a place called Sheol, which was a place for the departed. <clears throat> the idea of Sheol is a bit hazy for us. We don't really know what people did or didn't believe about that. Um, other than it was kind of like a holding place where you went to after you died. And he was like saying, no, I shall die grieving over my son. 
excuse me, what's tragic and horrible and two-faced is that his other sons try and comfort him. How can they comfort him with any level of sincerity when they know exactly what's happened to Joseph and they're responsible for it? But this is the level of trickery and deceit and stuff that's happened in the family. So in a chapter before, we see Jacob saying, come on, let's get rid of all of these idols from our, our culture, from our family. Let's get rid of these earrings and all the things that tie us into a kind of godless pagan culture. And let's cleanse our whole hearts as a family and he leads this mini revival, but actually nothing has gone on in the hearts of his sons that represents true change. So there is unregenerate and is scheming and nasty and deceitful as they were before. So he says, I'm going to go down to the grave weeping for my son. And his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, and we shall find out more tomorrow. Have an amazing day, you guys. God bless you, and well done for hanging in there with all those long names. <laughs> may God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Amen. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him, but more than anything else that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Uh, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much. <laughs>